Hoodies, welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Career. I'm your host, Jennifer Ong, and in this podcast, I interview people who have taken a leap of faith and pursued an alternative career path in Asia. Today, I'm super happy to have Scott Lee join us. Scott is the founder of Guru, an online education tech startup based in the U.S. They first started off as the Uber for tutors, creating a marketplace to connect tutors with students. They have actually now expanded to becoming the Netflix for education, where for a monthly subscription fee, you get access to all the educational content on its platform. But before starting all of this, Scott actually started out selling women's shoes out of his Columbia dorm room. Let me hand over to Scott to tell you his story and how he already had an entrepreneurial itch even back in high school. I started a nonprofit in high school, connecting between underserved children and English volunteers in Korea because I was very fortunate to go to high school in, in the U.S. And then during summer, I came come back and I really wanted to uh, help those who weren't who were able to afford learning English. But there were, at the time, there were no website connecting between them. And so I was like, oh, this is such a bummer. You know, we have so many amazing teachers and a lot of students from overseas coming back. And there's no website to support uh, our communities. And so I think that, of course, you know, my mom was like, oh, you should study SAT. You should uh, XYZ. I'm like, oh, no, this is what I want to do now. And I think that was one of the most impactful things I've done in high school. And that really opened my eyes when I was connecting to a lot of different centers and communities and even like college students who wanted to teach English. And I think that really uh, impacted a lot uh, before I went to Columbia. And then after I went to the army after my sophomore year, uh, in Korea for two years, I came back and I started on, like niche online fashion, like retail. I always done very education related work, but so I wanted to do something that I, doesn't really require too much money, but at the same time, I can explore different things to see if I'm fit into entrepreneur. Do, do I like this kind of uh, start something from the scratch? A lot of my friends also at the time at Columbia, they're all like banking, consulting, you know, they're uh, preparing interviews and I'm like selling shoes and running this marketing in, in blogs. And, and they're very confused. Like they come to my dorm and like hundreds different like women. She's like, oh, Scott, are you? No, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm just trying, you know, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm just wanted to see who I am. You know, I think that's very important. And I think what I learned was I love waking up, seeing what's next. I mean, it was two people. I did, we did everything, packaging, marketing, customer service, like shipping, everything. And I actually loved it, but I just didn't like the fashion. It just wasn't my passion. I, I didn't want to pursue it. So I gave it to you know my partner and I have no regret because I, I mean, it was a good validation but I wanted to do meaningful things. Life is short. I wanted to do what I care about. And so that part, I sort of knew, like, I'm, you know, you have to do what you're passionate about. After I graduated, I met this mentor through cold outreach LinkedIn. 
and I somehow got the job offer. And everyone was so shocked because I I didn't want to go to finance. You know, that's not what I want. And I'm suddenly I'm like going. I got a full time offer, and everyone was like, "What? How the?" And you know, and I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, wh- why not?" Everyone talks about finance. Everybody talks about consulting. Let me. I mean, I got this amazing you know offer. Let me just try and see if I really like it or not. And as a result, I think after three weeks, I knew this is not for me. So I was like, oh, okay, uh, good. Now I know like 100% certain that I'm more like entrepreneur type. And so after a year, I quit JP Morgan. It wasn't a hard decision. Uh, it's, I, I knew this is not for me. And so when I started grew, I think I started like right the na- day after. Okay, so you mentioned that you cold emailed a mentor online and found your finance job. Tell us a little bit more about that. Oh yeah, I just cold emailed a bunch of people who went to Colombia, you know, because at the time I didn't have any corporate experience. Honestly, like senior year, second semester, I didn't have resume. I didn't have LinkedIn. And then I called LinkedIn message, and that was like I heard the strategy. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I sent like eight hundred. I, I think a lot called. Like connect cold message. They did a lot of like referrals. I did a lot of coffee chat, so many meetings. And actually, honestly, in my Columbia year, that was the most fun time. It's like finding a treasure. It's like networking. I loved and and actually that was a very, very important lesson I learned a lot because it was very similar to fundraising too. Then I met him, Vincent. So he thought my resume was very interesting. And he's like, oh, you want to stay in the U.S.? And I was like, oh, of course, you know, why not? And luckily, he set it up and I got full-time offer. It's just so crazy. I was so fortunate. But I think at the end, you just have to try. Don't determine answer first. I think I tell Jen about this before the podcast. says, Don't put glass ceiling to yourself. You know, it's the potential is limitless. It's sometimes you're just afraid to get notes. I think the key to succeed, and we can see that in many, many successful people is to don't be afraid to get notes. Get notes, more notes early on and be used to that because don't let your brain determine no is a failure. No makes you stronger. Make you used to that. That's so important, especially if you want to be a founder because you will get thousands of notes everywhere. And that's just abnormal. The mindset has to be that way, you know? I think it's very important. I think that's like one of the key things. Don't be afraid of failure and don't be afraid of no. But I actually also think that's very interesting the way that you were able to go find a job. And that's actually quite different with how people usually go find a job, which is just kind of throw their resumes out there and hope for the best. And I think it's very cool that you went kind of like the networking route and also speaks to how you've always done things a little bit differently in your life and in your career. So you worked at JP Morgan for a year. I guess you knew pretty early on that, that you weren't cut out for that. Were you also at the back of your mind already thinking about Guru? I knew I love marketplace. I love connecting people. And I think I knew that because I was like, oh, Simless is such a great idea. And it was huge in Korea. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I should have, you know, I love connecting um, people and so I was always 
so curious because after the army, you know, Colombia, as you know, is very rigorous. They're very smart people. And my major operation research, it's really hard stochastics and like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I, I'm, no, I'm not that, you know, there's so many smart, like I couldn't really understand during classes and some people like understand fully during class. I'm like, wow, you know, it's like another level. So I needed a tutor after the army because during two years, I didn't speak English. I didn't study at all. Like my brain was frozen. And in Asia, there's so many tutoring centers and the U.S. is very different. So it was very hard for me to find a tutor. I had to go to Craigslist. I had to go to tut tutoring like centers very far away. So I thought that was a huge inefficiency. And I thought it was a big opportunity because at the time, Uber for X was very popular too. I'm very simple-minded. So I was like, oh, let's make Uber for tutors, you know? Just within a few clicks, find a tutor, and yeah, it will boom. I think education, it's, it's very important to me. And I think there's a huge opportunity in that field. And there weren't a big player like Uber and Airbnb. And I think that made me a decision to move forward. I think after five years, I know why. There's no Uber for tutors. It's very, very hard. Uh, <laughs> it's very, uh, yeah, because if, even though someone told me that it was hard, I wouldn't buy it. I usually just do it. I'm like, oh, how do you know? You haven't done it yet. I, I, and that's just my style. A lot of try and errors. Hey, that, if you believed those people who told you it was hard, you would never do it yourself. So it's good that you didn't, <laughs> that you're not that's easily true. swayed. <laughs> that's true. I wouldn't um, quit my job either. So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess in the early days, were you nervous that it wouldn't work out? I don't even just think about that. I, I, I just focus on what I'm doing right now. And if that fails, I will think about it later. I think it, people like, oh, what if A, B, C, but at the time, I mean, I do that for different ideas, like in Guru, but this is, I'm, I'm your more like all in person. I'm going to do 120%. I know that even though it fails, I don't want to regret that I didn't pour 120%. I think that's more important to me. If you have that safety net, you, it's harder to unlock your potential. So you have to think about this is the last chance. Like this is what you need to focus. And other things, of course, you can think about it afterwards. But if you already think about that, people around you will notice. Hundred mm. percent. If a founder thinks in like that kind of mindset, who wants to do all and who wants to have ownership? It's so important for that energy and vibe that this is what I'm passionate about. And this is, I'm all in on it. And that's how startup can succeed. I think Very that, important. That's super interesting. It's almost like you don't give yourself room to fail. And because you don't give yourself room to fail, then you don't actually end up failing. I mean, there's no failure. Don't think of a failure. This just makes you stronger in the US. Even though you fail, you know, people will look at it as a great experience. Of course, I think it's a little bit different in Asia, like Korea. It's like little room for failure. Amazing inventors. They're very committed, but they failed thousands of times. My question is, hey, if you want to really impact the world, if you want to really disrupt the things that you really want to change, you have to be that person.
Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, in my prior interview with this guy who uh, is a professional cellist at the Seattle Symphony, mm. he also said something super similar to what you're saying now, which is, you know, you have to almost believe in yourself so much that there's no room for a Plan B, because if you think that there is a Plan B, then you will never put in that 120 percent, that additional 10 percent, five percent that will get you there. You'll just be like, oh, you know what? I tried my best. It's okay. I still have a plan B that I can fall back to. But if you don't even have a plan B, you will pull all the late nights and do everything you possibly can to get to where where he is, um, which is at the at the symphony. So I think it's very interesting because you're both in very different fields, but you both share a very similar advice and mentality. Actually, how did you go about figuring out what it is that you like? Because I think that's one of the maybe harder things for people to really know, right? Honestly, the reason why I went to army was I had no, I didn't have that answer. I was so lost. Like everyone's interviewing and they're job searching. And I thought that two years in the army would be enough. But honestly, I didn't get that answer. So that's why I started the fashion, small niche e-commerce. And it was really helpful, really, really helpful. And I, I don't regret at all. I think I made a right decision at the time. I think it's just try and errors. I think a lot of times, especially good students, they don't want to risk because they just always succeed. I think you have to, especially early days, you need to fail more. You need to experience new things so that you can sort of know about yourself better. I think that's so important. If you're just doing what you're good at, that maybe you might be missing out something that you might be amazing at, you know, try and errors to see who you are. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that was honestly one thing that I had as a weakness as well. Like I was just too nervous to try something that I didn't know if I was going to do well in at all. So, so yeah. How did you figure out that education was the thing that you were most passionate about? First, I think I'm very influenced my parents because my grandparents came from North Korea and my father started from scratch and he didn't get the best education possible. And my mom had three daughters and one youngest son. And at the time, women don't get much education. So I, I was very fortunate, like the part that they didn't get the better education I received. And so I think I grew up that education is extremely important and i was very fortunate i came to us during summer camp since i was like like eight i I, you know i got so much support from my parents and but the thing is not many people get that support you know i'm 0.1 maybe we're 0.1 you know and i i thought that you know this i i'm so fortunate to get this you know amazing education and I want to support people that they can really unlock their potential. And I think that maybe using technology, we can make it more affordable and accessible. Okay. We were talking offline a little bit about um, how you decided to start Guru. And one of the main reasons why you wanted to start Guru was because of your Christian belief. Maybe talk us through that journey and how religion has really influenced your uh, decision to become a a founder of Guru and to uh, push education forward as your main uh, mission. Honestly, when I started, 
I wasn't really focused on glorifying God. I was more focused on myself, my fame. I wanted to be a renowned entrepreneur. I wanted to be a billionaire. I wanted to IPO in five years. That was my goal. But, you know, as I prayed and as I meet amazing Christians and amazing team members throughout the journey, you know, I've been praying, okay, how can I glorify God through group? I think that was one of the things that I prayed the most because I wasn't clear how I can do that through this platform. Like, should we have more Christian tutors? And I think during COVID, he gave me a clear direction to uh, spread the gospel through education. God wanted me us to make education more accessible. Um, I think it's a very humbling experience. I think God allowed me to us fail a lot. We could have bankrupt a few times, but I think that even though I'm a sinner, God really gave me an opportunity to really glorify God, be more mature, be closer to God. And do you feel like your religious belief was what helped you get through the tough times? Yeah, I think that's a great question. First, I tried to do it my way. Thankfully, it didn't work out. So I think I learned how to rely on God more. His timing is always perfect. And I can trust him. And, you know, always people want it now. But sometimes that's not the best solution. If you know that he loves you so much, and he's shown time and again, again, and again, I think you become not only patient, you try to rejoice the time of just wait and be still. Because you expect much, much better way of his way than what you think. And I think that's fascinating, right? Even for people who maybe not religious themselves, I think one of the things that I'm hearing is a lot of this is like recognizing things maybe that are bigger than yourself or recognizing limitations that you personally have, um, whether it is your own weaknesses or maybe that there are certain things that, you know, is really out of your control. And I think that's one of the key things to being a successful entrepreneur. It's not like, oh, I, I want things to be done immediately. I want things to be done my way. There's a lot of value in recognizing certain limitations. Um, so mm-hmm. thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing your story and, and your, your belief on this. I wanted to shift the conversation a little bit to maybe even the early days of Guru. When you first started out, it was like the Uber for tutors. And you had this idea around tutors because you had tutors in Korea. And was it such a prevalent concept in the US. In those early days, how did you get the students on board? And how did you get the tutors on board? Yeah, so we started right next to Columbia, two bedroom apartments. We have people who graduate from Columbia, NYU, you know, different universities. So we hired a lot of graduate PhD students who've been tutoring a lot. So I think the tutors, instructors are the ones that we onboarded first. In fact, we didn't have the student app. It was just only tutor app. I think tutor definitely is the first piece that you really need to build stronger relationship. After that, we did a lot of guerrilla marketing through our connections. Like, you know, our team member went to XYZ schools. You know, we posted on their like websites or Facebook groups. We did a lot of flyers. Like we post a lot of flyers in bathrooms because that was most cost efficient. <laughs> we did a lot of Craigslist posts. At the time, it was all free. I think Airbnb did that. And I think we adopted that model and we really posted all on Craigslist. And I even posted my cell phone numbers there. And so 
they texted him a lot, called me a lot, and I was definitely able to meet them because our product wasn't perfect. So I had to go above and beyond and really went to their apartments and meet them and build relationship and they spread the words for us. It's a lot of hustle, a lot of grinding, a lot of groundwork. And some of them honestly became our investors, which is crazy, (laughs) which I never thought of. And they made an intro to other people. And I think that's, I'm very, I was very fortunate to meet amazing people in early days. And when you first started out, were you focused on like one particular segment like, oh, I'm just going to go find like math and science tutors for fifth graders or were you quite broad? I think we started for like college subjects first. We wanted to focus on helping students for midterm and final. That's how we started. And then we slowly transitioned to K-12 because we wanted to mentor them, inspire them. You know, guru is to inspiring students. And for the tutors, I guess at the beginning, they didn't have much to lose, right? It was just like, hey, would you like to add your profile onto our page? And when you were starting out, did you need to build some sort of like a website or an app to like connect them? Or it was really more just like, I'm going to find the tutors, I'm going to find the students, and I'll manually like match them myself. Yeah, we built an app. Ah, Um, It was very simple and buggy app. (laughs) But I think... Did you build it yourself or did you find someone to help you build the app? So our lead mobile developer now, um, I reached out to him through ZipRecruiter. So he didn't apply. I I somehow found his resume and just cold called it. I was like, oh, this is Guru. You know, it's so crazy. And that was such early days. I don't know what he was thinking. He was interviewing like Amazon and stuff and his parents thought he's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, if I knew this was this tough journey, I think, I don't know. I couldn't even. I think I definitely overpromised. Like, <laughs> oh, it's gonna take. Yeah, it's gonna take not too long. You know, we're gonna disrupt this market. You know, we're gonna raise like a crazy amount of money. But at the time, I, I didn't know it wasn't that hard. So. And I think he just saw my passion and he, he liked what we did. And yeah. Did you have to like pay him a salary or he was like, like he just got equity and was building this with you? It was combination. I mean, you know, we we were living in New York city, so he had to pay bills and you know rent. And so obviously it was so much lower than the average salary that because he was, he's a very smart guy. Start building apps since middle school, you know, so, you know, we weren't able to pay like a lot, but And where where did yeah, you was, get this money from? Was it uh, from the business already at that point in time or was it investors? Thankfully, I mean, I was I bootstrapped initially. So, it was from my family, my own savings. Honestly, I have to say that I'm very fortunate. I was able to start and be more aggressive because my family really supported me. And so, you know, I'm more humble. You know, I think it would have taken much, much longer if I had to rely on investors and I would have had to give up so much more equity, which also it's harder in the later stage because an investor will have a bigger voice. And, you know, it's, it's a, always a conflict. It's, it's founders have very tough time to run the show. 
if someone's keep telling you what to do and they really don't know the big picture and you know it's conflict of interest and for people who are thinking about starting their own business how much money would you recommend they have set aside <laughs> <laughs> just ballpark i think it all depends because it's all about speed right how quickly you want to build if you want speed then cost definitely has to go up right i think it's all about also what kind of co-founders you have and what kind of skill sets you have like your technical founder definitely it will take much less and if you have co-founders very very experienced CTO it will definitely cost less and also product is different like marketplace is going to cost a lot i have to tell you if you're building tech you're building marketplace you will burn a lot of cash then much much more cash than you think because it's much more complicated you have to take care of supply and demand side what i can say is it's going to cost lot more than you think Mm. and you will have a lot more financial pressure when you are doing the business because it'll take much longer than you think. Mm. I've heard so many found oh we're launching beta this date almost 100% the product launch especially tech will launch much later than you think. Mm. yeah. Yeah, because like founder oh they have a timeline and you propose it to tech team a lot of times if founder if not even is not tech savvy and they, they don't know and they are aggressive they will have very tight deadline 100% tech will not meet that timeline and even though they do the code might be messy and what that means is that for the next next timeline it will get delayed more and more because the codes are messy Trade-offs. Got it. Got it. The reason I asked this question is because I think a lot of like people are nervous. They're like, "Oh, I want to start my own business, but I have no idea how much money I need to save up." But I hear what you're saying, which is that, you know, it really depends on the type of business you go into, what type of team that you need to hire. And so it's hard to put like a ballpark figure around how much yeah. startup capital it is. I think there are so many different types of businesses, and so I think if you want to start tech, I strongly advise you start with a much smaller niche simpler not tech involved business like Shopify where you can be selling in Amazon I don't know whatever it can be and see if you like what you do I think you know how can you try to solve derivative if you haven't done multiplication <laughs> right you always start from the beginning I tell high school students like start selling water bottles in Central Park you know it's pretty simple but it can be very different. It can be like different style of water bottle. It can be marketing. How can you pitch, you know, and then see if you like it or not. I think for people who aren't sure about being an entrepreneur, it's definitely starting with something small and like low capital is probably a good way to test out oh. if this is even the area you want to go into. <laughs> hundred times. hundred yeah. times. Yeah. Okay. So at the beginning you were, you know, bootstrapping yourself. And then I know that you eventually got investors on board. What was the reason to start getting investors involved in the company? This marketplace, it's like I look at it a little more like a political campaign. You know, you cannot win the election alone. You need many supporters behind you. And I need you know influential and passionate amazing people around us to go to where we wanted to be it's impossible to do it alone and also the validation is very important in the market so i started fundraising very early mm. but i just got so many no's mm. and then i just realizing why i got no's so how can i make that no's to yes mm. i think fundraising for most of the time except the few 
They raised a lot of money from fancy VCs. Majority of the founders struggled to fundraise. Mm-hmm. A lot of people advise you to start with friends and family because if friends and family don't trust you and they don't invest, then how can someone who never met you before can invest in you, you know? And then you build this trust as like a check mark. Same with VC. They look at that check mark. You want that check mark because think about it. You have millions of other investment opportunities in the world. They're all looking for fundraising. So I think building that friends and family, a credit investor and VCs, this is extremely I think, important, especially if you're first time founder. So I think building that friends and family, a credit investor and VCs, this is extremely I think, important, especially if you're first time founder. And did you ever consider accelerator programs like YC? See, I was overly confident. I didn't like giving up equity so much. They take a lot of equity. I think I forgot. How much was that? But I didn't like it. I was mm. like, ah, you know, I mean, of course they add great values and stuff. But at the time, I guess I was <laughs> overly confident that I will be very successful very soon. But if I think back, I think it's not a bad idea. That would be something you would consider if you were to redo. I'll be, I'll be seriously consider. Got it. So maybe, yeah, just tell me a little bit about how Guru grew over time. I'm sure five years in startup world is probably a lot happened in those five years. But um, maybe, you know, from like the early days to where you are now, um, how how did you guys get from there to now? We started like Airbnb model. A lot of uh, tutors shown up and then students go back and forth. But later we switched to more like a Uber where you can just click a few clicks and then we show top two matches. And we made it like a subscription model so that we can only focus on the students, you know, who want to do long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. So initially your business model was not subscription based. It was like every time you find a tutor, you would pay the platform and yep. then I guess the platform would take a percentage of it. Yep. And I guess, what made you guys decide to consider or move towards like a subscription-based system? Yeah, we just wanted to focus on the students who wanted to do long-term. We believe in lifelong learning. So it was very hard for us to just focus on students who just need one-time help. And it's really confusing for instructors as well. So that's why we have such a high retention and we can really see how students are growing and and so that, that was more aligned with our mission as well. So we thought that subscription on a minimum four hours per month. And it, I think it really worked out well. I think tutors know that they're very dedicated so they can really focus. And that's why the quality of session go up. And I think more consistent cash flow as well for the tutors and for the company, right? You can kind of predict how much money you'll be making that month. Yeah, I think it's good for the business. I yeah. think that, that that's a good thing. Right? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big believer of subscription-based businesses. Yeah, I think investors like them too. So I guess it's good. And how do you ensure that your tutors stay on your platform with a student? For example, I'm a student and I met a great tutor on your platform. What's to say that I can't just pay the tutor separately outside so I don't have to pay like the platform fees on to Guru? Yeah, I mean, that question... Uh, all the investors ask and we have cohort we we track the retention but i think it's all about relationship we're very transparent about how we are charging them how we are paying tutors 
And the app really keeps track of all the feedback, learning styles, and different aspects of how students are learning. So that we, it automatically updates parents. For example, let's say you're an independent contractor, you're just texting and emails. Parents, are, it's very hard for them to see the big picture. And it's very, very hard for them to keep track. We have all the information about the students to match with a better tutor, like seeing all the different aspects of like hobbies, interests many different things to see the good mm. matching. And so I think parents really rely on us a lot. So basically parents are paying service fee and then our service is greater than that, then they will stay with us. Mm. And I think that by looking at the metrics and retention, they clearly see our value. And I think they think it's fair because our service fee is much, much reasonable than many other tutoring agencies who are not even adding any values. It's not just tech, but also many other services and values you need to keep adding so that they want to stay with us, I guess. Um, and, and then nowadays you have pivoted again, or I guess not pivoted, but like extended your services to doing like online courses, kind of like a Netflix, but for education. Where did the idea come about? And why did you guys decide to expand into that? We always wanted to do more than tutoring. And we wanted to support those students who can't afford tutoring. And I thought that this was a perfect medium because this also will help us to grow organically for tutoring as well, because a lot of them will see how well they teach. And then parents are more confident booking tutoring. And we don't really always want to rely on paid channels like Facebook, because we're very well optimized for SEO. We're already seeing a huge amount of organic traffic, and that will lower the CAC and also increase the LTV. So it's not just for group courses. It's also very helpful for group tutoring as well. Mm -hmm. So for business perspective, we have investors. They care about our growth and they care about our exit strategies because it, it, at the end, CEO, of founder, tech founder, especially if you're venture backed, you, you have a lot of people to make them happy. It's employees investors, students, and parents, and what's the good solution to, you know, make them all happy. You always have to think about that because all of them are your supporters. And I think that this idea makes sense to all of them. And, and it's good for our students. And I think our team member were very happy about that as well. So it's like, oh, great. And COVID too. So it's virtual. I mean, the total adjustment market for online learning will be grown even more exponentially. So I think the timing was right. So are the tutors also creating the content for you or are you now the content creator? We, we own the content, but our tutors are participating to create the content with us. We give them guidance with our direction, like, technical guidance. We try to help them as much as possible, but also that allows them to get more students because it's like a marketing page, you know, they showcase how well they teach. So parents are much more confident booking one-on-one tutoring with them. So I think it's a win-win-win for parents and students and tutors and guru. I think a lot of Tutors wanted to support many families who can't afford tutoring because majority of the families can't afford tutoring. And this is much more affordable way to get access to amazing content. And like, as you said, it's super scalable and also a really great way for you to acquire customers who maybe are like 
uh, do I need a tutor or like, do I know, like, do I trust this tutor? Kind of a good first step for them to kind of try the online course and then hopefully convert them into a higher paying customer. So I think we're super smart to, to launch this. My question though, then is, are you worried about competition? It's just, I feel like there's so many like online courses platforms out there. And how do you guys kind of differentiate yourselves from those other platforms? There's like so like so many of these like online course platforms nowadays. First, I think TAM, total addressable market and globally it's growing so rapidly. I think it will be over 500 billion in like a few years. So I think not one player would dominate the market. I think it's such a big market. I think there's a lot of great opportunities you know, for niche content to serve a lot of students. And so we do have a future plan how we can differentiate from those competitors. I think they've done a good job, but they're not perfect. And so I think we, you know, we started as Uber for tutors. We do have a big advantage in terms of those perspectives, as well as the relationship that our tutors have for many years. So, yeah, we're very excited to evolve, to be more distinguished from those platforms. And I think eventually as a global learning hub where we have global offices in Jakarta and Shanghai, I think we, we do have a big advantage in terms of Asia expansion as well. I'm very excited about this year. I think this is just the beginning. You do need a few years to be even more established. So as I mentioned, patience is very important. And I actually wanted to ask you, when did you guys decide to expand to Asia? And why specifically Shanghai and Jakarta? Yeah, I'm Korean, so some people ask. Yeah, but I'm a little why bit not afraid Korea? of Korean moms. Oh. Korean moms are very scary, including <laughs> my mom. No, just kidding. But <laughs> we're not ready to. Yeah, we're not ready. No, I'm just kidding. But um, it's just a more interesting market, faster growing market. Of course, Jakarta, we do have amazing investors there right now. Middle class is huge. Very fast growing, 25 to 40 years old, 50% are in that category. Southeast Asia is growing really, really fast. I think Rara and Guru showed they raised 150 million there. You know, I think amazing. But like, did you have connections in China and Indonesia or you hired people here? Like, how, how did you even like get started? Yeah, so one of our investors' daughter became our head of Indonesia, Tara. She's amazing. She has amazing leadership with Ivan. We have an amazing team in Indonesia. And my close friend, she's been my friend for many years. She was a director at international school in Manhattan, and she moved back to China. And, you know, she wanted to see. It's all about people. So mm -hmm. I guess I had I known the people I trust. I've known them for many years, as I said, as a you know, co-founder or key team members. So that happened. So I was very fortunate. So it wasn't really like my plan to like, oh, let's just do this. I think just the amazing opportunity came and I did, and I thought it was a good timing. So I pursued it. And I think that that's so fascinating, right? You spoke a lot about like the people and how building relationships is super important when you're a founder. And it, it seems like, you know, you've definitely been able to leverage a lot of those relationships in your business. How would you advise, what kind of advice would you give someone who's trying to build these relationships? How did you yourself go about doing it? Yeah, don't try to be too efficient because a lot of times founders think they're very busy and they are very busy. And they wanted to do things they 
just care about and they think it matters now. But you have to be very humble. You never know what kind of door will open and you have to really treat them as your friend. Even though at the moment it might not work out and like, oh, well, you know, this was a waste of my time. No, it's not. You never know. I think like human relationship, you really have to put effort and time and you have to treat them as they're very important to you. And that gesture really goes a long way. How do you go about hiring people? I think referrals are very important because even though you interview someone, it's very hard for you to know who, you, who they are. So I think based on our experience, referral were definitely the highest like success rate. And I, I think I strongly recommend that to any founders in early stage because the first 10 employees are so important they become your leaders. Cool. Um, it's just one final question for you, which is one thing that I always ask my guests okay. on this show is, you know, in the Western world, there's this idea that if you follow your dreams, the money will come. But in Asia, there's a much more focus on financial security. So I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on these two. How do you balance or choose between following your passion versus following a more financially secure path? I think it's a fair for Asian culture to say that because especially in Korea, we are not so acceptable for mistakes we make. In the US, mistakes are assets. You know, a lot of founders have failed. They're given more opportunities. In Asia, I think we're more strict about that. And we do care more about what other people think. So because I lived my half of my life in Korea, half of my life in the US, I sort of understand the both sides and I definitely fit better in the US. Maybe that's why I'm in New York while I'm in COVID. <laughs> but I think especially in the future where AI is advancing so quickly, it's going to replace a lot of jobs and our society is not prepared for that. And so I think our education system should be much more adoptable and should even try to adopt to the change the world's having right now. I think Asian education is not even close, not even close to that and the atmosphere to adopting the failure because you will be more creative if you fail more. We're too afraid to fail. We need to think about how to encourage the next generations and young leaders to show them those people who failed a lot, who really made a bold decision to giving them second, third chance so that they know it's not just a PR thing or it's not just to tell them, but it, it is really okay to follow my gut and fail and I'm okay to rebound. Mm -hmm. I think if the next generation really know that, and I think they will be even more encouraged to do it. And I think it will be good for the society to bring the innovation and bring the creative ideas to help the society, I think. And do you feel like that's why you decided to start your business in the U.S.? Because there's less pressure than there would be if you maybe started this business in Korea? I thought I have no shot in Korea. I'm not confident at all. I feel, I mean, I love my country. I serve for the country, but honestly, I feel suffocated to just to think about starting a business in Korea because the conglomerates are dominant and they can copy 
the idea and then they can just do the strategy, marketing strategy they've done and then just pour the money and kill the startup. I've seen multiple times over and over again. Mm. And so how can you compete with that? Mm. You know, it's impo- almost impossible. We are a very tech savvy country. We only have like five unicorns. That just shows mm. the statistics. And we have so much regulation. I just realistically thought that I just don't have any chance mm. um, in Korea, even though I w- w- do whatever I can. Very interesting yeah. to see that the way that the society is set up can also have like very big impact on, it can really trickle down to the way people think about starting their own business or not. You know, that's why I think in Asia, a lot of it is like, I'll just work for a big conglomerate because, you know, if I try to do anything myself, very likely I'm going to fail. And then also society really frowns upon failure. So wh- why would I ever take this risk? So I think very interesting way to frame this question. Um, yeah, so yeah. Well, so- my, so my my question will be to the audience is that who set this atmosphere? Because we just think that is natural, but nothing is natural. I think Steve Jobs mentioned perfectly this playing ground. Who built this playing ground? And why do we have to just Accept play it. by the rules? Yeah, okay. do we really have to? Or do we have a chance to change some of it or whole thing? for our next generation. Yeah, I think you're on your way there one step at a time. And so maybe just to close off the conversation today, any last piece of advice that you would like to give listeners who are thinking about starting their own business? Yeah, first of all, everyone during COVID, I hope everyone's staying healthy and safe. I think that's most important if you wanted to start your new journey. It can be frightening. I think it can be challenging, but I think if you feel like you will regret at the end of the day that you didn't start what you really wanted to do and what you're really passionate about, I think it's worth for you to just take a shot and then go all in. I I think life is too short for you to be afraid. I think if you historically see the people who change the world are all afraid in the beginning and so i hope everyone to think big and everyone's a masterpiece and i think you you can do it and on those encouraging words thank you scott for your time today it's been really really great chatting with you so yeah thanks thanks a lot thank you jen and there you have it my conversation with scott Here's a couple key takeaways that I got from this conversation. One, before you commit to starting your own tech-based startup and throwing a ton of money into it, see if you're even cut out to be an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship can mean many, many things. You know, even something small like selling water bottles in Central Park, or maybe even setting up a simple e-commerce store on Amazon or Shopify. Figure out if this is even the sort of life that you would be interested in, before you throw a ton of money into building a tech startup. Two is the importance of relationship building. This was how Scott managed to get tutors and students on board, how he managed to convince his CTO to join the company, and how he got investors. Relationship building is super important, but it's not something that you can really be efficient in. It's something you need to spend and invest time and effort into, and it may not even pay off immediately. Be patient. Three, how do you figure out what it is that you're passionate about? Go and try new things constantly. 
fail more. Only in this journey of iteration will you be able to figure out what you're good at and passionate about. Don't be afraid of failure and don't put a ceiling on yourself. Just try. Don't try to figure out the answer beforehand. And four, one thing Scott would have done differently if he were to start a new company is that he would have chosen to join an established accelerator program like Y Combinator. It just makes it so much easier for you to fundraise when you have been quote unquote vetted. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Control Alt Career. Check back in a couple weeks for our next episode where I'll be interviewing the founder of Turtle Tree and hear how Feng Ru is building a company that makes lab-based breast milk. And if you liked this episode, I would love it if you shared with two friends and tagged me on Instagram at ongjennifer underscore. So I know that you're listening to it. Thanks so much for tuning in as always. I'll see you guys back here in a couple weeks.